Hi guys, Lonre and Lisa here. We just wanted to hop in before the show to tell you how much we appreciate your support. It means so much to us, and we'd love to ask you for a small favor. If you could subscribe to our show, rate us, and write a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods, we would be forever grateful. And if you know someone who'd enjoy listening, please tell them about it. And of course, follow the Hippocratic hosts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to keep up with all the latest news. Thanks, everyone. You're the best. Now on with the show. Modern life. Between careers, kids, and health, it can be mayhem. That's why we're here. I'm Dr. Lisa Varghese-Kroll. And I'm Dr. Lonre Falusi. We're physicians, moms, and longtime friends who break it all down for you. Wondering how to juggle all the balls and still stay sane? Looking for advice but don't want to be overwhelmed? Curious about how to make the most out of life for your family but enjoy it at the same time? You're in the right place. Welcome to Health and Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. On this episode, we're diving into the holy grail, training your baby to fall asleep and teaching older kids healthy sleep habits. Also, what's the latest on sleep safety for infants, and how can you know if your child has a medical problem affecting her sleep? And we share a simple hack of the week to help keep your toddler in bed using just duct tape, but it's not what you're thinking. Hey, Lisa, how's it going? Oh, it's going. (laughs) You know, some weeks feel like nothing has changed, and some weeks feel like the world has turned upside down for like the 1800th time. It's, it's, we, we can't decide if everything is at a standstill or if it's all just changing so quickly. (laughs) Right? No kidding. And, you know, it's like, and one of the biggest changes that, we're seeing people experience right now is having a baby in the middle of all of this. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> I know. And trying to juggle, you know, the baby's sleep with all the other responsibilities. And so I'm so glad we're doing this episode. And we hope, you know, it'll be helpful to all of you who are parenting in a pandemic or have friends or family who are. Absolutely. So let's jump into it and start with the basics. So how much sleep do kids really need? Well, the truth is that it varies based on age. The recommendations say that infants under 12 months need the most sleep, 12 to 16 hours of sleep a day. For kids 1 to 2 years of age, it's 11 to 14 hours of sleep a day. 3 to 5 years of age, it's 10 to 13 hours of sleep a day. And kids 6 to 12 years old need about 9 to 12 hours of sleep a day. And, you know, we sometimes think that teenagers may not need much sleep, but they actually need 8 to 10 hours of sleep a day, which is more than the 7 to 8 hours recommended for adults. So now if you have a newborn or toddler, we've been there. We know what you're thinking. 12, 16, even 11 hours of sleep would be amazing, but it's totally not happening. But just remember that this number is over a 24-hour period, so it includes those daytime naps that may be happening at home or in daycare. Yeah. Those naps where you're like, oh, the baby slept for two and a half hours. So glorious. (laughs) (laughs) I got to do one thing, which was like, go to the bathroom. Amazing. (laughs) Somehow that two and a half hours lasted 10 minutes and it was over. (laughs) And, you know, and just like with adults, a lot happens while kids are asleep. So a lot of growth happens during sleep. What a child learns during the day gets stored in their brains while they sleep. 
And the immune system needs sleep you know, to stay effective, which of course is so crucial right now as we continue to battle the COVID-19 pandemic and with flu season emerging. By the way, this is your friendly reminder to ensure everyone in your family from six months old and older gets their flu shot, especially (laughs) this year, right? I mean, the last thing you want is for you or your family members to catch the flu and then be out of commission for a week while also still being at risk for catching COVID on top of that. Truth. Right. So get your flu shot as soon as you can. It's never too late in the season, but definitely the earlier, the better. Absolutely. So you know, what happens if a child or teen doesn't get enough sleep? Well, you've probably seen some of this, either in your own children or children around you. Uh, Kids can become more irritable. They have difficulty concentrating. They get lower grades, especially if they're falling asleep in class. And sleep deprivation can also lead to headaches, anxiety, and depression, which I think is is easy sometimes to overlook, Um, and even hypertension in children. And in teenagers, there's a pretty strong association between sleep deprivation and obesity, since sleep helps to regulate stress hormones and other hormones that direct our appetite and metabolism. Yeah, so and there are some sleep disorders that can affect kids and teens and make it more likely for them to experience those health problems that Lisa just mentioned. But before we get there, we did want to spend some time talking about babies and sleep. So sleep is one of the major topics in the checkups that I see in those first few months of life, probably second only to feeding, actually. You know, sleep is something that we all crave as new parents. (laughs) So you're like, how can I get this baby to sleep so that we can all just get some rest? Um, So let's start by reviewing infant sleep safety. So pediatrician groups and public health organizations recommend the ABCs of safe sleep. So A for alone. B for back, C for crib. So that means your baby's sleeping alone. So not putting like twins in a crib together, not putting stuffed animals or other toys in the crib for a baby under 12 months of age. Um, No heavy blankets. Like you can maybe tuck in a sheet, you know, along the sides around the baby, but no, no loose sheets. Um, And then B for back. So putting your baby down on his or her back. And now as kids get older, they like roll around and that's okay. You don't have to flip the baby over, but putting them down on their back is what's important. And then C for crib, um, meaning that you want your child in a crib or bassinet or, you know, some other um, sleep surface like a co-sleeper that's next to your bed. There's not enough evidence really to say that the co-sleepers that go in the bed are like safe or not safe. So just generally, we do recommend that the sleep surface be outside of the or next to the um, the adult bed. And the reason is that doing all of this significantly reduces the risk of sudden infant death syndrome or SIDS in babies. Um, and, you know, there are other recommendations also from the American Academy of Pediatrics for reducing the risk of SIDS, um, such as, you know, avoiding using cigarettes or alcohol or other drugs during pregnancy um, and then after birth as well. Um, breastfeeding can reduce the risk of SIDS, as can using a pacifier. Um, it is recommended if you do that, that you wait until um, breastfeeding is pretty well established, which can, which can take a few weeks. Um, and then following the immunization schedule, actually, um, babies who are fully immunized on time actually have lower risk of SIDS. So, so many reasons why we should all get our vaccines, including babies this year and every year. 
Right. And like Lon Ray said, you know, the AAP statement does recommend that babies sleep in a crib or bassinet near but not in the parent's bed. However, they do acknowledge that mothers often nurse their babies in the adult bed and may end up falling asleep unintentionally. Oh, very true. I mean, I have to admit that that did happen to me when I was breastfeeding. <laughs> right. Who, d- who didn't that so happen to? Tired, right? <laughs> right? Right. I mean, that's reality. So with that in mind, here are some suggestions that may make bed sharing safer. So you want to make sure that the mattress in the adult bed is firm and flat. Um, place the baby so that he or she cannot fall out of the bed or slip between a mattress and the wall or headboard. Keep the sheets and blankets very light. Keep the room cool. And babies should never be in bed with adults who have consumed any alcohol or altering medications or substances. But again, even with all these precautions, the safest place for a baby to sleep is in his or her own surface, like a crib or a co-sleeper or a bassinet. And we know that not everyone can afford a crib or may have a hard time finding one. So we'll provide links in the show notes at HippocraticHost.com to organizations that provide free or low-cost cribs for you or for you to share with someone that you know. Yeah, and so kind of transitioning now to talking about sleep training in infants, the elusive sleep training. (laughs) I mean, there could be lots of tears with sleep training, and we don't just mean from the babies. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I think Caleb and I were sobbing uncontrollably while the babies blinked at us. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) They're like, what's wrong with you guys? Are you training us or are we training you? I'm having a great night. I don't know what's wrong with you people. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Sounds like we're all up together. Party time. (laughs) Right. Like it's three o'clock in the morning, go to sleep. Um, so f- for that, you know, we for that reason, we want to make this feel a little easier and hopefully also just less guilt inducing for you. The bottom line for sleep training is the goal is to help your baby learn how to soothe himself or herself back to sleep. And, you know, for Lisa and me, this was an aha moment for both of us during our medical training. And as we became parents, like learning to fall asleep without a lot of help is not necessarily an innate skill, right? And for most babies, this actually needs to be taught. And we, as the parents and guardians, are their first teachers in this. That's so true. This was a huge revelation to me, you know, realizing that like eating, You know, Mm -hmm. sleeping is something that you often have to teach babies. So, you know, I mean, that's that's a reality because we all wake up several times a night, all humans, even starting in infancy. So it's not that your goal is to stop the baby from waking up. Uh, Quote, sleep trained baby is one who when they wake up in the middle of the night, as they're going to do, is one who's able to get back into a comfortable position and fall back asleep on their own. And this is a vital skill. It can help them sleep better all their lives. So focusing on sleep and sleep learning is really a great gift that parents can give their children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that so how do we how do we actually do this? Um, So first, start with a bedtime routine at about the same time every night and in the same place. You can do the B's of the bedtime routine. And maybe you've heard of this. So calming routines like B for bath, brush, book. And then bed. So I mean, giving your child a bath, brushing their teeth, reading a book, and then putting them to bed. And I would add bye to that. Mm-hmm. Remember that once your kid is in bed, you want to say bye bye with as little fanfare as possible. You know, a kiss, a pat on the back, wish them sweet dreams, and then leave the room. 
Or if they're in a crib in your room, then at minimum kind of step away so that you're then kind of removing your attention and helping them give some helping give them some space to be able to learn to fall asleep on their own. Right. But, you know, what do you do if the baby's crying when you put her down? Or what do you do when he wakes up crying an hour later? Well, there are a number of methods that you may be familiar with, and we want to share the science behind them as well as our own experiences. So one of those methods is the cry it out method. So full CIO is just what it sounds like. You allow the baby to cry, and eventually through that process, the baby learns to calm himself or herself down over time. Many parents find this hard to do because it can be painful to hear your baby cry for minutes to hours without intervening. Or, you know, parents worry that the baby will feel abandoned. Now, the good news on that front is that a study was published in March 2020 that should be reassuring. It showed that allowing a baby to cry it out sometimes or often did not harm the baby's behavioral development or the baby's attachment to their mother. And this study only assessed moms in terms of attachment um, up to 18 months of age. And those babies were able to fall asleep more quickly after three months with less crying. Yeah, I, so that is reassuring. I think it is really hard to hear your baby sure, just cry, not yes. do anything about it. But if you are comfortable with that and you go down that route, it's good to know that there aren't like long-term, you know, harmful effects that we've seen. Um, but if that doesn't sound like it's for you, then there's also the graduated cry it out method, which is also called the Ferber method or graduated extinction might be another term that you've heard. So with this method... You put the baby down to bed awake, like with cry it out. So you want to make sure that your baby is tired, but still awake. Because again, the goal is for her, for him to fall asleep in the place where they will sleep for the rest of the night. So with fervor, unlike full cry it out, you actually go back in to the room after the baby has been crying for a few minutes. Now, the amount of time differs, you know, in terms of when you go in differs depending on the resource that you read. Um, But I find it easier to remember the 5, 10, 15 rule. So if the baby starts crying at, say, 9 o'clock, wait five minutes, then go into the room, you know, with just a gentle voice, you know, try to calm them, maybe a pat on the back, but you're not picking up the baby or turning the lights on. Um, You just kind of gentle voice, a quick pat maybe, and then you leave the room within like a minute or two. And all of this is just meant to reassure the baby that you like you still exist. Like you didn't disappear <laughs> when you walked out the door. Um, and your goal isn't necessarily to stop the crying, just but just to reassure the baby. So okay, so now it's nine oh five, and let's say the you know you you went in and you did that, um, then you leave the room. Um, so now wait another ten minutes until nine fifteen. Is the baby still crying? If so, then you go back in. And do that same thing, you know, just a gentle pat, maybe some nice words and you leave the room. So again, at 930, so now it's 15 minutes later, if the baby's still crying, then you do the same thing. So gentle voice, pat, you leave the room within a minute or two. Um, Restart the cycle then at five minutes if the baby's still crying at that point. Um, so you, you know, you can start with like shorter wait periods on the first night. So maybe you don't want to wait a full five minutes for the baby to cry before you go in. Um, and you can, you know, start maybe two minutes of crying the first night. And then the second night, have the baby wait for like five minutes before you go in um, and kind of elongate it that way. 
Um, the third night, maybe you wait eight minutes and so on. So that's really actually technically how the Ferber method is designed so that each successive night starts with a later check-in time for the first check-in. But if you are just too tired to keep charts to remind yourself of like what time you started the night before and all that, then that 5, 10, 15 method might be easier to remember. Um, so, you know, you'd also follow this method if your baby wakes up in the middle of the night. Um, and studies show that most babies will learn to self-soothe and eventually fall asleep on their own within a week of consistent use of this method. Um, it's also been shown not to be harmful to the parent-child attachment. And it's been associated with an eventual decrease in parent stress, which is like something that we all <laughs> are seeking, right? And I'll say this is the method that actually worked really well for me, for our kids. And I use just like the simple 5, 10, 15 method um, of, you know, going in like 9.05 and then 9.15 and then 9.30 and then starting back over if needed. Right. And we used a variation of that as well. We used a book called The Sleep Easy Solution. Um, and that, you know, like in our sleep deprived haze, my husband and mm -hmm. I devoured a number of sleep training books and we found that this one worked for us. And it, it is similar to the Ferber concept. It just has extra chapters on naps and how to handle developmental issues that can disrupt your child's sleep. And we actually talked about this book in episode five as well, when we were talking about book recommendations. Um, and so this is something we'll link to in our show notes, but there really are many methods to sleep training. There are many other ones. Um, besides the ones that we've talked about, uh, there are less commonly used methods, such as the chair technique, where you sit in a chair in the room until the baby falls asleep and gradually move the chair toward the door each night until you're no longer in the room. There's also bedtime routine fading, where you gradually spend less time soothing them at night. And there's the bedtime hour fading that involves setting bedtime a little earlier each night to help a child, typically a toddler, fall asleep at a reasonable time. You know, no matter what it is, the key is consistency, teamwork, and patience. And I'll just say with, if you don't have the teamwork with your spouse, so let's say like one of you just really cannot stand hearing the baby cry at all, the other person, you know, just feels like they can handle it, then it's okay for one person to just do it. I right. mean, for us, right. that was me. <laughs> I told my husband not to worry about it. I like, I could, I, you know, at some point kind of um, not like cry with the, with the baby crying and so it's okay if just one person kind of takes over with the sleep training. Right, right. And remember that every family is different and every child is different. So slightly different methodologies might be best for different people as long as they're rooted in love and always as long as your pediatrician is on board. So remember to always run this by your, your physician no matter what. Yeah. And, you know, and then the question is, so when do you start with sleep training? So most experts will say around four to six months um, is a good time to start um, based on when the majority of babies can go six or more hours of, of sleep without feeding overnight. Um, but it can be helpful to develop some routines around sleeping even earlier to lay that groundwork for establishing a schedule later on. So for example, when you see that your two-month-old baby is getting drowsy, you know, you can sing her a lullaby and then put her down to sleep. Um, and then over a period of time, that lullaby becomes their cue for napping. Um, so just kind of a reminder, like, okay, it's, I'm, it's time to wind down and, and you know, start to fall asleep and maybe even on my own eventually. Right, exactly. And, you know, there are lots of opinions about sleep training choices. No one method works for everyone, like we were saying. So choose what's best for you, but... Be consistent for at least a week or two before deciding that it didn't work. 
Um, because the most important thing is that the consistent bedtime routine serves as cues um, to the baby that it's time to wind down and fall asleep. And we'll link to resources for each of these methods on our website at HippocraticHost.com. Yeah, and there's some additional tools that you can try to help calm an infant when it's nap time or nighttime. And you can use these with a sleep training method too, of course. So one, um, using a pacifier. Um, and again, as we mentioned earlier, if you're breastfeeding, you, you may want to wait um, and not use a pacifier immediately until you've been breastfeeding for a few weeks or feel like it's pretty well established. Um, the, and that's because your babies have just a natural need to suck. Um, so that's why you sometimes see them sucking on their thumb or sucking on fingers. So pacifier is another way to do that. Or you can use a swaddle or sleep sack. Um, I was never really good at swaddling, like that adorable burrito that babies get like swaddled into. You know, I just had like a kid with an arm sticking out or something. So, um, so if you if you're not is you know if not super coordinated, you can also get a sleep sack um, which zips up so the arms kind of are are hanging out, um, but the baby stays like warm and and feels like they're swaddled. Um, but do stop swaddling like the actual traditional swaddling with a blanket um, when the baby can roll over because that becomes a suffocation risk Um, and then also just make sure that their hips are loose if you're using a sleep sack another thing you can try is using a white noise machine Um, sometimes that like just soothing sound is great for babies and helps them fall asleep some babies may want like pure silence and of course that's that's fine as well Um, But if you wanted to try something that kind of provides that, you know, sort of like maybe the the sounds that they heard in the womb that's like muffled (laughs) sounds, um, I think is a thought, then you can always try a white noise machine. Another idea is getting shades for the room where the baby sleeps. So room darkening shades. Um, So these, you know, you sort of pull clothes so that the room is really dark. Um, and here's a quick travel tip. So for wh- whenever we're able to travel again, whenever that's going to be, um, instead of buying like really expensive travel blackout shades, just bring a couple of black trash bags with you and some binder clips and you can use that to darken up the room wherever you're staying. And then finally, you know, some people like to use motion like a swing or a sling or a stroller um, for young babies before they're old enough for sleep training. Um, and to use that kind of rocking motion to help the baby fall asleep. So, but if you do use any of these to help a baby like to fall asleep, make sure you take the baby out as soon as they are asleep and transfer the baby onto a flat sleep surface. And that's just because of the risk of you know neck compression or suffocation if they're in a swing or other surface that's more upright. So after all this, you sleep train a baby And then they're definitely forever good for life, right? (laughs) Oh, don't we wish. So we also have some good tips for toddlers through teenagers to help them get and keep a healthy sleep routine if they didn't become good sleepers as babies or are going through a stage of more challenges with sleep. Yeah, and that's really common too with like changes in schedules or if there's a, you know, a newer baby in the house, you know, your child's sleep can get disrupted. Um, So our first tip is to set a regular bedtime for everyone each night and really try your best to stick to it. It's just like with infants, this might involve establishing a relaxing bedtime routine like a bath or reading your child a story. But having, you know, the same thing that you do at about the same time every night is really important. 
And after one year of age, let your child pick an item to have in bed with them, like a doll, a blanket, a stuffed animal, or another soft object. And then also, you know, don't have a TV in your child's bedroom. As you might remember from episode 15 on adult sleep, any screen, so a TV or a phone or tablet or computer, emits blue light, which can disrupt your melatonin and tell the brain to stay awake. Um, so this is for adults and for kids. So, you know, if your child has like homework to finish before bedtime and must be done on a device, then definitely check out that episode for ways to reduce that blue light at nighttime. Um, but at least to not have sort of like the TV that's always in the child's room is important. And avoid giving children anything with caffeine within six hours of bedtime and limit the amount of caffeine that children consume overall. Now, you know, I'm not sure how many parents are running around giving their toddlers venti-sized frappuccinos, <laughs> but it's good to know that there are hidden sources of caffeine elsewhere. Um, places like soda, including orange soda and cream soda, chocolate. Listen, if you don't give your kids chocolate, there's less for them and more for you. Sounds good to me. <laughs> right? And some brands of flavored water, especially if they are marketed as energy water. Yeah, so in a sense, sleep training is something that we do throughout our lifetimes. And starting these habits early, especially having that regular bedtime and regular routine, really sets up our kids for healthy sleep habits and restful nights as they grow up. And they'll probably really thankful for that when they're adults and can you know get a good night's sleep without a whole lot of help or fuss. Right. So, you know, just like adults, kids can develop sleep disorders as well. And we'll provide links to more information on these conditions um, on our website in our show notes at HippocraticHost.com. So snoring, sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, insomnia, all of these uh, were discussed back in episode 15, and we encourage you to listen to that episode. But the bottom line is that for kids, similarly to adults, if you suspect that your child has any of these conditions, talk with your child's doctor. They could need a sleep study or another evaluation, and this is especially important for children who have signs of or have been diagnosed with behavioral conditions like ADHD. Studies show an overlap between ADHD and sleep disorders like sleep apnea. However, the effects of both are similar, which makes the true relationship difficult to tease apart, and which makes it all the more important to talk with your child's doctor about any of these concerns. And how about nightmares? You know, nightmares are normal starting from the toddler years. And they're actually just a way of processing what the child sees and experiences during the day. So when it happens, you know, definitely like encourage your child to talk about it and how they felt about it. Give them a hug, a kiss, you know, to comfort them and then help them get back to bed. You know, try to avoid that temptation of bringing them into your own bed as that can set up a routine that you probably won't want to sustain. And just again, like the younger a child is, the easier it is to set up those good, healthy sleep routines. And also taking your child back to his or her own bed reminds them that, you know, their room is a safe place and not a place that is like scary and dangerous, even despite those nightmares. Another thing that many people experience is sleepwalking. This is actually present in as many as 40% of children, usually between the ages of three and seven. And it can involve anything from sitting up in bed to walking around the house or even outside. 
Uh, even though their eyes are open during these episodes, they don't realize what they're doing and they aren't processing what they see and hear as they normally would when awake. So if your child routinely walks in his or her sleep, consider safety gates, especially at the top of stairs, um, making sure that windows and doors are locked, and just gently helping them back into bed. Sleepwalking itself isn't dangerous, and neither is waking a sleepwalking child, but it might scare them to be suddenly awakened, so it may be better to just guide them back into their bed. And then, of course, you know, we have to mention that with COVID-19, more kids are experiencing anxiety and depression and, you know, different like schedules and not being able to see their friends and all of that can definitely impact their sleep. That's so true. And it's so difficult to see this happen. We share some suggestions for talking with your child about their emotions during this time in episode 11 um, on COVID kids and pandemic academics. But don't hesitate to talk with your child's doctor or mental health professional if you're concerned. All right. And that takes us to our physician mom hack of the week. So we've all been there. Your toddler wakes up at 3 a.m., comes to your room and says he's ready for breakfast (laughs) or she wants to play. (laughs) So we have a tip on how to teach your child when it's time to stay in bed versus when it's okay to get out of bed using duct tape. So no, we're not suggesting that you duct tape your kiddo to the bed. (laughs) Uh, But instead of buying like a fancy expensive like kids clock for your child, get any old digital clock and just cover the minutes with paper or duct tape so that all they see is one number, just the hour. Then teach your toddler to recognize that number. So let's say it's 7 a.m. and you know that's the time that you want your child to wake up. When your child sees a 7 on the clock, then it's okay to get out of bed. If that number says 3 or 6 or anything else, then they should stay in bed. And you can use this with other behavioral strategies like a reward system. So they get a special activity or a treat on the weekend if they follow the plan at least four days that week, for example. And, you know, try to have a consistent response if the child does get out of bed at an inappropriate time, like gently but immediately guiding them back to the room. And over time, this should help them become more independent about when to get out of bed and hopefully will help you have a more restful night, which we can all use these days. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) (laughs) So that brings us to the end of this episode. As usual, we are so thankful to all of you for listening. We're grateful for your support. And we would love it if you would follow us on social media. That includes Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we're at Hippocratic Hosts. And please subscribe and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods and share with a friend. Thanks so much, everyone. We love talking to you and look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks for listening to Health at Home with the Hippocratic Hosts. Remember that all views expressed here are our own, not our employers. And all content is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice nor the establishment of a doctor-patient relationship. Always consult your own physician or healthcare team for any medical issues. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check out our website at www.hippocratichosts.com for show notes on this and all our episodes. Can't wait to chat with you next time.